0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Okay, guys. Let's go ahead and we'll get started. We may have some people that that walk in, so um, hopefully that's not too much of a distraction. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff at Park. uh, Oversee our care and counseling ministry and our teens ministry. Here feels like a little bit of a weird thing, two weird things to oversee, but that's that's what I do here. Um, let me pray for us. We've got a few just welcoming things to cover before we get into our material for today. Um, but let me pray for us before we before we start. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd be here, Holy Spirit, in this room today. Um, Lord, we thank you for. Uh, the fact that you created something like marriage that some of us are are moving toward and some of us are already already in. Thank you, Lord, that you've created it to, to show us something of what you're like, what your relationship with your church is like. Lord, I pray for future marriages that are in this room. Um, you would give them a view, a robust and rich view of what marriage is and what it says about you. For those of us who are in this room and we're already married, um, that you would even give us a more rich and more robust view of what that's like. If there are areas in our marriage that are hurting, I, I pray, Lord, that um, you'd let us know that that's, that's okay and that your gospel is a salve. It's, it's a healing salve that can transform those areas. Um, so, Lord, be with us today. Be with me as I speak. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. So, uh, welcome. A couple of uh, maybe uh, house things here. Restrooms, if you need them, down this hallway. So you just go down, all the way down on the left-hand side is restrooms. This is pretty uh, It's pretty informal. So if you want to get up, get a drink, get some coffee, there's some sodas back there, there's water that's back in this water uh, thing back here. Please help yourself. You don't have to wait till a break to go get it. That said, I... This class tends to be much better when it's interactive, so I probably will ask you questions. Please feel free to give, to give answers. It'll be really, really boring if we don't do that. Um, I don't love hearing my own voice, so uh, I love the interaction. Um, let me tell you kind of what we, have, what we have in this room and kind of what we're doing here. This is the first time that we as a church have tried to do something like this. Most of the time we just do a premarital class. It's a two-night premarital class, um, and we teach. Some of the content is very similar to what we're teaching here uh, today and then for the next three, for the next three Sundays. But this is the first time we've ever done this, so there might be some bumps and some bruises here um, to try and figure out what works well here, what doesn't. I would love, at the end of this, at the end of the four weeks, I'm going to send you out a survey to ask you how it went, what you might change, what you might like to see done differently. So please feel free to fill that out, but be thinking about that along the way going, oh man, that kind of hurt having premarital and marriage in the same room. So that's kind of what I'm thinking there. Uh, that said, if you're in this room and you're engaged, you're gonna go through these four sessions and then if you wanna do premarital through Park, you need to send me an email stating that you want to continue doing premarital through Park, If you do, we're going, to, we're going to send you a link that for you to fill out a sheet, gives us some more information on you, and then we would get you paired with one of our premarital mentor couples to walk you through a five-session curriculum. So if you want to do that at the end of these four weeks, you would send me an email. It's jason at parkchurchdenver.org, pretty easy to remember. Uh, if you're married and you're in this room, the hope and the prayer here is not that this is going to fix. If you have problems or you're having fights this isn't that it's going to fix everything in your marriage the the prayer here for you is that the the content that we go through the questions that i give you to talk about in discussions may highlight areas where you need to work on maybe you're maybe you're sitting out there and you're going man something's wrong but we don't really know what it is maybe this helps to clear up the lens for you a little bit Um, and then from there forward if you want to work on some more things, come talk to me or talk to another pastor at Park. It may be that we can get, get you guys to meet with one of us. Maybe it needs to be to refer out, maybe to an outside counselor. But please come, come talk to me afterward or talk to another pastor on our staff or one of our elders afterwards. So again, the hope, the hope isn't that you're going to come here and it's going to fix everything. The hope is maybe you're going to come here and the Lord is going to put his finger on something to say, hey, this is the area right Right here, maybe this is the area where you're not quite seeing it clearly. You're not quite interacting with one another clearly. So that's that's the hope. And then for for those of you who are engaged, the hope is you see a more robust view of what marriage could be for you, and you walk into marriage with that with that view. Um, any questions before? Any questions on any of that before we before we get into the material? No. Okay. Um. So today we're going to start off uh, talking about, or we're going to talk today about the theology of marriage. Next week's going to be talking about complementarianism. It's going to be talking about how your spouse is a gift from God and about being a student of your spouse. The third week is going to be on uh, communication, fighting, and forgiveness. And then the fourth week is going to be much, much different than anything we've done as far as... uh, our premarital class has gone over the last few years. We're going to try and hit a topical, a topical session, that last one. So we're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about uh, leaving and cleaving. We're going to talk about parenting. And we're going to talk a little bit about finances, uh, that last session. So um, that's, kind of going to be, that's kind of going to be fairly new. So that's kind of how the, the next four weeks are going to go. Today, we're going to talk about the theology of marriage. So with that, I would ask you, and here is where we get interactive How does our broader culture tend to define marriage? Let me, sorry, Matt, Matt, before you answer. Let me say something else too. This is a safe place, okay? Um, If you raise your hand and you say something that isn't even close we're not gonna like make fun of you, that this is not gonna be that kind of place. Um, And that said too, if uh, some of you may be sharing some hard things in this class or at your table, Um, I was going to originally have you just segregated out marriage and premarital. But as you started to come in, I thought, let's just give it a go. Let's see where people sit and kind of just have them talk through things. Maybe after this, after today, we might change that. But again, this is a safe place. So if you're engaged, you may be sitting at a table with a married couple who's going to go. Yeah, we're struggling, man. We're really having a hard time. Um, don't be caught off guard. Um, if, you're, if you're married and you're here, maybe, maybe it is, you're just kind of wanting to get some good maintenance, good refresher. Things are going well, but you want to keep them going well. And you're, you're sitting at a table and an engaged couple goes, I don't think we're supposed to be together. It's okay. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. This is a safe place. So with that, Matt, you had your hand raised. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think it's kind of seen a little bit as a Okay. I'm surprised often in TV shows how I'm like that's the pursuit, and when someone kind of hits that, it sees season finale. Okay. <laughs> so almost like the end goal in marriage is marriage itself. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What else? I have to find this achievement. Okay. I'll talk to people, and they're like, well, what marriage? I'll wait till the second or the third, then, you know, then things will, you know, okay. you're on the first, you're there. Maybe I'll get it right next time? Yeah, okay. you'll, you'll get things right the second time. Okay. okay, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Andrew? Is that, is that what you were going to say? No. Oh, oh, I thought you were raising your hand, man. Sorry. What else? Sometimes it's seen as contractual, like it might be this why, why, are you jump, why are you jumping ahead? Okay, good. Good. Michael-Ann just segued for me, but we're not going to segue just yet. What else? How is how is marriage defined in your house growing up? What did it look like? Yeah. So almost kind of, I'll, I'll dip my toe in the water, but I know I have now. Right. Okay, yeah. What else? I might say our broader culture... Um, tends to think about marriage, and this is kind of going back to the cheapening of it, tends to go back to marriage and, and think about it in terms of, this will fulfill my happiness. Right? I want to be happy, and therefore I will get married, and this will make me happy. Um, so it's it, essentially it's my satisfaction and my desires being met within that marriage. And if I do that, you know, if I get married, then... That's actually going to come, and then I might also say, we tend to think if we get into a marriage and it's not like that, it's not happy. We think, "Oh, I made a mistake. I've made a mistake, and I need to get out." Um, let's flip to uh, let's flip to Genesis two, eighteen through twenty-five. If you've got one, if you don't have a Bible, I put some out on the tables. So if you if you need one, please feel free to use that. So again, it's Genesis 2, uh, 18 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and read this section, and then we're kind of going to talk about a few things that we see in the section. So then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what do we, what do we see here about marriage in this passage? I'm looking for a few things, but there's not necessarily a right or wrong Answer. So whatever you kind of see, what observations do you see in the text? You With to Mary. Adam's suitable helper. Okay, great. She's she's a helper. Okay, good. There's a sense of variety like E was created to allow Adam to do to go beyond what his original colony was. Okay. So together in that one flesh union they both flourish. Is that yeah? Okay, good. What else? God makes it good. Let me say this really quick on that point before somebody else mentions another point. I think we see God makes it. One of the things we have to ask ourselves, especially if you have you are married and if things are tough, do you believe that God is good? Right? Do you believe that He's wise? Do you believe that the purposes that he set up in marriage are good? Do you believe that he loves you? Those are things to ask yourself if things are tough. Do you believe he's good? Because you can tend to get to a place where it's like marriage just isn't a good thing. So please, if you're there, give you some hope. God's good. What else do we see in this passage? Good, good. Maybe a, a, a one that one that seems obvious, um, but in our culture, it needs to be stated: it's between a man and a woman. So we see marriages between man and woman. What else do you see? Husbands, maybe. I'll ask this question to you: husbands or potential husbands here? What, uh, what does Adam do when he sees Eve? What is that little section there? It says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. What do you think that is? Yep. And then he suddenly sees that missing piece that himself, you know, we call each other like, oh, that's my girl or you oh, that's my guy. He's like, hey, that's you're, you're with me, you're mine. Yeah. What does that cause to rise up in him? Fondness. Fondness, delight, yeah. affection. Yeah. Right? So most 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 scholars would look and see that as a poem almost. Like he is that is a that is a cry of delight when he sees Eve looks at her and he says, this, this, at last. This one, I can see to be my helper, right? That's what he's saying there. What else? I have one more thing on my sheet. You're kind of like a like, Keep going. Where, yep. Yeah. Totally, that's that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> you're 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 really close to where I, to where I'm going there. Um, that that last part. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. She's also leaving a family, right? Like in this case, Eve isn't. She comes straight from straight from Adam. But in the cases of everybody in this room, that girl is also leaving a family too, right? So they're leaving this covenantal family. That's the word. I'm, that the hint of the word we're going towards here. The man's leaving this covenantal family, the woman is leaving this covenantal family, and then they're becoming one flesh in a covenant relationship. So they're one, um, and, and it is meant to mirror that the last line there, the man and his wife are both naked and were not ashamed. Now that's mainly before God. So quorum Deo, they're living before God. That, that's mainly meant to say, before God, they are both naked and unashamed. But that relationship, that covenantal relationship that they have with one another, also mirrors the covenantal relationship that they have with the Father, with God. And so they're both naked and unashamed before God. But this, in this relationship, they're also supposed to experience that we're both naked and unashamed. This is a safe place for us. This is a safe place for me to say, I struggle with this. This is a safe place for me to be harsh and not have bitterness brought toward me. Does that make sense? So it's, there's one sense in which it's this way. There's another sense in which it's in that covenant relationship between man and woman. Um, so covenant. So we have this covenantal relationship. Mike Lamb, what did you say earlier? Our broader culture tends to define it. It's a contract. Yeah. So our broader culture tends to define and think about marriage in terms of a contract. So let's talk about a contract. What? What's a contract? So see, you've got two parties here. Okay, my drawing is horrible. I'm really sorry. But this is the contract. Um, and we'll... This is my... That's my lady. Put some faces on them, I guess. Um, what's a contract between two parties? What does it do? Binding document. Okay, legally binding document. To do what? To, to to one another. Yep, yep. But in a contract, so that's good. Legally binding um, between one another. What happens, let's say... Um, let's say these are businesses, right? So let's say each of these people represent businesses. Um, what happens if this business does not uphold their end of the mutual agreement, right? Because essentially it's a mutual agreement, right? But it's a mutual agreement to do things, right? I'm going to do this, and in turn you're going to pay me for it. Or I'm going to do this, and this is how I'm going to uphold my end of the contract, And I'm going to do this, and that's how I'm going to uphold my end of the contract. Right? What happens when one party doesn't uphold their end of the contract? It's null and void, right? It's done. It's done. So how, how do we tend to see this worked out in marriage? That may be like too broad of a question, but we'll see. If the broader culture tends to define marriage or can define marriage in terms of, I'm gonna enter this in order to fulfill my happiness, right? So essentially, this party right here, the lady is going in, let's say this now we're now we're not businesses, we're actually people here. She's thinking, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna enter into this marriage contract because I want to be happy. Okay? And he's going to enter into this marriage contract because he wants to be happy. What do you think is going to happen pretty darn quickly? They're both going to be unhappy. Why? Because they're seeking it for selfish reasons. Right. Right. And so, yeah, what's going to happen is he's going to go, man, she is not at all upholding what I want. And then she's going to go, man, he's not upholding at all. And they're going to be bitter. And that's going to start a cycle Downwards, such that they looked at it as a contract and now that the person is not upholding their end of the contract it's null and void then we get divorce okay and if it if it doesn't end in divorce let's say you got let's say you have a marriage where they're both viewing it as a contract but it doesn't end in divorce where do you go from there Adultery. adultery that's one place else resentment. resentment 40 years of nastiness right you ever you guys ever seen those marriages 40 30 years 40 years 50 years of people who just hate one another they stayed in it but they still viewed it as a contract maybe they were just a little bit more gracious to not one out of it but they still viewed it as a contract they still viewed it as you need to uphold your end of the bargain um, let, me read a, uh, let me read a Lewis quote, C.S. Lewis quote here on, uh, on love, because what, what many people think about as love is actually not love, right? Most people think about love as this kind of giddy sort of feeling that stays kind of down in your gut, um, and you're just so excited to see that person, um, and... Um, you love, spending, you love spending time with them. All those things are, are really good, but that isn't love, right? And so let's, let's read this. Lewis says, most people. What most people call love is really just a hunger for affection, affirmation, and service. I want what you do for me. Right? Most people don't really love another person. They just love themselves. So they enter into marriage thinking... You're going to make me happy, so therefore I will enter into this with you. But, um, and what this does is it results in, when we get into our marriage, it results in us asking questions like, Is she meeting my emotional needs? Is she meeting my physical (laughs) needs? Okay, and then she's asking essentially the same questions Is he meeting my needs? Is he doing what I expected him to do? Um, And then from there, if we determine they're not, we ask, what question do you think we ask? If If we go, you're not, are you meeting my needs? No, you're not. What question do you think we ask ourselves? Yep, that's one. That leads us to adultery. What else? Did I make a mistake? Did I make a mistake? Yep. What else? I think there's one maybe even before we get to those two points is a question we, we might ask ourselves. I'm gonna grab while you guys are thinking I'm gonna grab Tim Keller's book here. <laughs> why should I why should I give if I'm not receiving? Right? Does that seem like a logical question? If that's the way you're thinking about marriage, why should I give if I'm not actually receiving? So um, I'm going to read a quote. Uh, This is The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Uh, If you're married or you're engaged, anyone in this room, I'd recommend you get this book. You can buy it downstairs. Um, It's a fantastic, fantastic book. If you're actually going through premarital with us after these classes... It's you, you go through it in our curriculum, you read through it with your mentor couple. So, um, I'm going to read a section here, it's a, it's a rather long section. So, please, I would beg you stay with me here as I read this. Um, I may have the wrong pages here. And I may have written down the wrong pages. I may have failed you. Well, essentially, sorry, I think I wrote down the wrong pages. That was a fail. Um, That was one of those learning moments you guys are going to write me on my survey going, hey, get the numbers, (laughs) get the pages right. Um, Essentially, there's a quote in there where Keller says, um, a lot of times what happens in a marriage is once people get, once People have children. They're married. They have children. Once those children leave their house, they get a divorce. Why? It's because they were living for... Their, their, their marriage existed for their children. They weren't actually pouring into their marriage and loving and serving their spouse. And he goes on to say, why... why he goes on to, make, to ask the question, why is it there for their children? Why is that love there for their children such that they would stay together? Because um, a lot of people tend to say, well, we just... We fell, out of, we fell out of love, right? He says, that doesn't happen with children. Why doesn't it happen with children? Because from the moment, and, and this, is I think, is a good example here with Levi, for the, from the moment that they're born, you are loving and serving and laying down your life for them, and they give you nothing. I mean, I'm, that's probably not entirely true. You probably look at his face. <laughs> but um, they give you nothing in return. You expect nothing from them. Um, And yet you are doing the actions of love because you are loving and serving, laying down your life, which we'll look at in a a second, that is love. The laying down of one's life as Jesus laid down his life for his bride. But he goes on to say, essentially, this happens with children because we love them and serve them and lay our lives down for them. And then the feelings, this rich, deep-rooted, robust love develops for someone who we've laid our life down for but that, that wasn't happening in their marriage so essentially there was nothing there so when the children what what they were actually living for in their marriage when those children moved out of the house they looked at this void and said there's nothing else here so that's kind of the the quote that i was going to read here um Let's, look, let's now look at, let's turn, so we've kind of been looking at, what, how does the culture look at it? Now let's turn and see, how does the Bible view marriage? How does the Bible talk about marriage? It's, um, let's, let's turn to Ephesians 5, and we'll look at 22 through 33. So, again, as we talked about before, this marriage covenant is very similar to the covenant that God keeps with his his people. So we're going to read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So God covenants with his people Ultimately, he goes to the cross to die on our behalf. um, Such that Paul can state in Romans 8, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So... How does the how does the Bible, how's God's word talk about marriage? If it helps, you can think about it in in contrast to how our culture, our broader culture, tends to think about it. It's one. You say it's one? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You mean by one flesh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What else? Very different from this, right? Yeah, very different from this. Because it's no longer, I'm gonna enter this for my own happiness. It's actually, I'm gonna enter this to lay down my life for your happiness, right? Okay, what else? So next week you're gonna talk, I don't want to cheat too much. Next week you're gonna talk about complementarianism. So you're gonna talk about roles within a marriage. But what do you see in this text about roles within a marriage? The husband is the head of the wife. What does he get to do as the head? Uh, this is very this this it sounds like I'm 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 not baiting you. Uh, but the, the answer is very different depending on if you're looking at God's word or if you're looking at the culture right. as a well. whole. So, as the head, you're right. says he's the head. What does he get to do? Love your wife. How? The church. How does he get to love his wife? To make her holy, cleansing, and. That's why. Oh. How? Oh, gave himself up. There you go. Husbands, husbands now, future husbands, your call as the head is not to dominate. Your call as the head is not to um, lord it over. Your call as the head is you get to lay down your life. You get into a fight, guess who's the first to lay down their weapons? You are. Guess who's the first to say, okay, I'm, I'm done arguing. I'm done. I love you and I don't want to continue to argue. You are. So, wives, now, wives, this is a fantastic... I, we're probably getting too much into this because you're going to talk about it next week, but I'm fascinated by it. Submission gets a really bad rap. What is submission in, in terms of this here? In terms of Ephesians 5, what is submission? Surrendering, Surrendering to what? How? I don't, know, I don't know that I like the word surrendering, but we'll, we'll, we'll continue with it. So essentially, it's, it's a coming underneath that servant leadership, right? It's coming underneath the servant leadership to say, yes, continue to point me towards it. As you're laying down your life, continue. I want to come underneath that leadership because you're actually reminding me and pointing me towards Jesus as you lay your life down. A little bit easier to submit to that kind of leadership than the domineering sort of machismo leadership that we tend to see, right? Maybe? I'm not a woman, so I assume that that's the case. <laughs> what, you see in, what you see in marriages where it's actually working itself out well is this beautiful, beautiful harmony, right? Where husband is laying down his wife, the wife is coming underneath that saying, yes, please continue. And because the wife is coming underneath that, leadership that's easy to come underneath it's easier for him to submit his life, or so it's easier for him to lay down his life for that kind of submission. And then it works in harmony. You can bet the the other thing also works in a cyclical pattern as well, but it isn't harmony. It's a downward spiral into, um, he's not laying down his life. He's domineering. He's He's machismo. He's kind of, it's my way or the highway. You see it. That, that, no one wants to submit to that. So she's going to go, hell no, I'm not submitting to that. No way. then he's going to go, well, she's not submitting to me. I'm not going to lay my life down. And it works in a downward, downward spiral. But let me say this. If that's where you're at, it's okay. That's okay. There's hope there. There's hope there. Okay? You can spiral back upward. Okay? If you think about a spiral staircase, you can go up it, you can go down it. Right? Go up it. Go down it. If you're at the bottom, you can go all the way up. It's okay. So, a so marriage covenant is meant to image the covenant that we have with God. So, we image that. Who do you think we image that to? Okay? So, we, that, that marriage covenant that we have with one another, where, um, where we are naked and unashamed before one another, right? Where it's a safe place. What is that meant to image? It images some things. does it meant to? Or sorry, it images the covenant that we have with God. But who are we imaging it to? There's a couple different. There's a couple different things here. A couple different entities or so that we're we're imaging it to. Give me the most, me the most obvious one. What? Your spouse. Good. Good. Who else? Well the outside world, right? Is that what what you mean? Yeah, the outside world who's looking on. You're either speaking something true about the gospel, according to Paul, right? You're speaking something true about the gospel or you're actually lying to the outside world. There's one other one. Anybody else in here have kids besides these guys? No? Who do you think you image it to? Totally. Anybody, anybody who's in your household looking on, right? So you do that for one another, You'll do that for Levi and any other children that God, that God blesses you with. They're constantly looking on. So as parents, and we'll get into this probably a little bit more uh, in week four. As parents, you're constantly teaching. The same way that you're constantly teaching to your spouse, you are constantly teaching to your children. And you're either teaching something that's true about the gospel, teaching something true about the way that Jesus relates to his bride, or you're lying to them by your words and your actions. So um, that's, that's who we image it to. And love within this marriage covenant, it looks very different than it does within a contract. I want to read, um, I'm going to read a Timothy Keller quote that I actually have written down. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have to look it up this time. Although I think it might be in the book as well. So it says, uh, and for those of you guys who don't know, Tim Keller is a, a pastor up in New York city. He's a, PCA pastor up in New York City, a lot of the theology that he has is very similar to the theology that we would hold to here. So um, I always like to just tell people a little bit about the person that I'm quoting. I don't want to assume that you just kind of know who it is. But he says, love is commitment to minister to the needs and best interests of another person over your own. Love then is expressed through actions. M. Scott Peck writes that love is not primarily a feeling by which we are overwhelmed, The desire to love is not love itself. Love is as love does. Love is an act of the will, namely both an intention and an action. Another way to put it is this love is the desire and constant actions necessary to make a a person truly great and truly happy. These definitions point to the fallacy inherent in the claim couples often make we just don't love each other anymore. This is to see love as sentiment. But love is not sentiment, even though strong feelings may often accompany it. Love is a choice. And we can choose to love a person or choose not to love in spite of what we may feel toward them. Love is commitment, not feelings. Thus, we can love our enemies when we serve them. Love is to put the needs and good of the other person ahead of your own. To love is to put the best interest of the other first. In the Bible, love is not primarily a feeling, though it contains feelings. Love is a habitual way of thinking and thinking, and acting towards someone else. When we do the activity of love, the feelings of love follow. When our feelings of love dry up, dry up, it is usually because we have stopped the activity. Parents learn to meet the needs of babies, though they get nothing in return. As a result, a deep, unconditional love grows for the child. But when our spouse acts like a baby, we tend to withdraw the activity of love, and then our feelings for them begin to dry up. So... um, Love within a covenant, how is it different than a contract? Selfless. Selfless, good. Good. I'm not looking for necessarily some specific answers here, as much as just trying to get you thinking in these terms. So, what else? Self-healing? Self-healing? Do, tell, yeah, I would agree. Tell me what you mean by that, though. So Unpack it a little bit. A contract, you, a contract, you can share it up. Yeah. But with love, if you're doing it right, even if the other person or you do something wrong, the love will prevail and you can fix it. Very good. Yeah, good. What else? Hannah, would you agree with that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's interesting too? I think if we carry, if we, um, I'm sure at some point this would break down, but if we carry out the metaphor of um, of parents and child, particularly mother and child, what you see is um, the parents' affections grow for the child, but the child actually develops this attachment to the mom particularly first because most of the time it's going to be the mom meeting most of the needs initially um and feel free if if none of this if you don't agree just go whoa 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 you don't even know what you're talking about dude um but what happens is the child develops an attachment to the mom because that child knows my needs are going to be met by someone who's laying their life down for me now they may not be able to vocalize obviously that it's delaying the life down, but they know this person loves them because they're meeting those needs for them, and so it's not just a one-way street there. Where, um, and if I can use you guys, where Hannah's affections are being stirred for this baby who she's loving and serving and not getting much from, it's not just that one-way street. The baby is actually developing an attachment to her. And then, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Sam. Sam. Um, and then as Sam comes in and starts uh, meeting some of those needs as well, holding, holding Levi when he's crying and things like that, the baby begins to go, oh, these people love me. They're meeting my needs. And so there's a mutual attachment there. So I'm sure at some point that would break down, but it seems to, seems to work there. What else? What are the thoughts? Yeah, 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 good. Um, I think, and you guys have, you guys have kind of, you're, you're, uh, you're dancing around this and everything that you've said um, and everything you've said has been really good, but you're dancing around one thing that I think is really important. Within that covenant, it's a safe place, right? There is, there is the safety of being naked and unashamed. And we're not, like um, just to dispel, that verse is talking about way more than just physical nakedness. It is talking about that. But it's talking about, um, you know, Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed. And then not one chapter later, they're going to be trying to cover themselves up with, they're going to be trying to cover up their physical nakedness with leaves. Why? Somebody said it. Shame. That's right. Shame. So within the bounds of this marriage covenant, it's a safe place. safe, And it should be, should be, a safe place from shame and guilt and fear. Right? It isn't always, but that's what it should be. And then and again, let me say, if you're in this room and that's where you're at, if you're married and that's where you're at, there's hope. Because of the gospel, there is hope that your marriage can get to that can get to that place where it is safe. But within the bounds of that covenant, it should be a safe place, right? God covenants with us and says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to die for you. And nothing, and that's where we get to Paul's quote there from Romans, like, nothing's going to separate that. Nothing. I'm going to be here. And this marriage covenant is meant to is meant to mirror that. So when for those of you that are married, um, most of you took a vow, probably, and your vow probably said something for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse. Maybe, maybe not. But whenever I do a wedding, and as part of the vows, it's for richer, poorer, for better, for worse. That line, for better or for worse, it's baffling that we stand before another person and say, yep, for better or for worse. What do you think that means if it doesn't mean this could go horrible, I'm here. This could be amazing. This could be fantastic. I'll, I'm there. This could be horrible. I'm here. Um, that's a tough, tough line. For those of you who are, who are thinking about getting engaged, um, I want to challenge you to really think about those things. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't walk towards that marriage, um, those vows, but take them, what you're doing, take it very seriously. Because you are covenanting before God to say, I'm going to stay right here. You may get cancer and die. I'll be here. You may get hit by a truck next week and be um, on life support. I'll be here. You may, get, you, you may get some sort of disease that incapacitates your entire body and you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. I'll be here. Your character may be horrible. Horrible. Um, You may not actually believe in Jesus. I'm here. That's tough. That's really tough. Um, But beautiful. Because of what it represents, because of what it images, it's beautiful. Does that make sense? Make sense? Okay. Um, So here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to take, let's see, we got about, sorry, I'm looking at my clock in my office. (laughs) So we got about uh, seven minutes until the top of the hour. Take, take about a five-minute break, and then I want you to come back to your tables, and you have, for those of you who are engaged, you should have the printout for questions for, for engaged couples, or for, for those, if you're not engaged, that's okay, for those of you who are pre-marriage, date. Um, and then for those of you who are post-marriage, date, there was a list of questions for you as well. If you don't have them, you can get it from over here. I want you to take about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and go through those questions. And then at twelve fifteen, I'm going to do something that could be disastrous. Yeah. I'm going to do about fifteen minutes of Q and A. We'll just kind of open it up for that. I'm hoping to do about ten to fifteen minutes each session of Q and A. Are we going to do the questions like individually, or with our staff, or as a table? <sighs> try and do it. Try and do it as a table. Are they different for like? three? Yes. Yep. They're going to be very different questions for marriage. Essentially, what we're trying to do is take the material and the content that we've covered today and nuance those questions towards people who are married and then nuance questions towards those who are engaged. So, take, to, take the time, or take, take about five minutes, but do it as a table. And this is where I'll, I'll probably want your feedback after today to see how that went. Because some of you, if you're married, some, some of that hurt and that pain could be too much to do at a table, if that's, if that's where you're at. Um, if that's the case, let me know. Please let me know. Don't just not come back next week. Um, let me know. We can, like, we can change it up. But again, some of this is kind of, I want it to feel like a safe place for you. I want you to feel like you're in a community where it's okay for you to go, and we're hurting. We're hurting bad. Um, and so... Um, because, because, let me just dispel, none of us is hitting it on, on all cylinders, okay? We're all, I mean, I, I've been married for 13 years. we got places where we hurt. So, like, I want this to feel like a safe place. I also want it to be a place where you will share. So, if, if you, we need to switch it up next week, let me know. But let's try and do it as a table. So, that means you might have some people who are dating. You might have some people who are engaged. And you might have some people at a table who are already married. So let's try that, okay? So let's take about five minutes, come back at the top of the hour, go ahead and start. At 12.15, we'll 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 do a Q&A. Okay, you guys. Good dis- good discussions? Bad discussions? Uh, yeah? Fairly good discussions? Okay, good, good. Um, all right, let's do... We need to wrap at 12.30, so let's do about 13, minute, 13 <coughs> minutes or so of... Q and A. If you have questions, I just thought I would open it up to see kind of what's on your mind. What are you guys coming in here with? Maybe questions that you're already coming in with. So I'll open it up. If you don't, that's okay too. But uh, more topical discussion of divorce mm. um, acceptable as be a really weird word. That's but good. Uh, <sighs> Yeah, I think you see, you see an instance in scripture where um, in Mark, I think it's Mark 10, right? Where Jesus, where the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus questions about divorce and, and they're like, well, Moses allowed it. He allowed us to write a certificate of divorce and Jesus says that was because of hardness of heart, right? And so I think um, hardness of heart is kind of a little bit of a hard thing to define, Um, but I think you see marriages where, um, particularly when there's been adultery involved, um, where a husband or a wife, or maybe even both are just hard towards one another because they're actually, their hearts are hard towards God. Um, so I think you've, you've got instances of adultery that results in an instance of hardness of heart, um. That's when, that's when I think we would allow for that. Um, but there would be a whole lot of discussion before that because it isn't just a simple like, yeah, go for it. It's okay, we're going to work on, we, we want to come alongside you and work on reconciliation if it's possible. And then through that, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. And then we get to the question on remarriage, sure. which I'm not going to answer for you. <laughs> Is that, is, that, is that kind of what you were going for? Yeah. It's, not an easy, it's not an easy, it's not something that's easy because it's like, um, there is no blanket. Yeah, this is it. And if you come to me, I'm going to say, yeah, go for it. Because sure. I'll say, yeah, I think you've got, you know, I think you've got something there that would allow for divorce. Um, but let's work on reconciliation. We want to come alongside you as pastors at a church to walk with you guys through a reconciliation process. And then if it seems like then it's not going to work, then I think we would, we would say, okay, we, we would, we would, we would say it's okay for you to do that. That's happened one time, I think in the nine years of this church where that was actually, we did that. What else? We don't talk, we're not going to talk much about divorce. Um, but if you have questions, let me know. But, um, yeah, go for it. I've been married a little bit, and it seems the this covenant, it's, you have to pour into it, and it becomes an entity on its own, I guess. I'm not sure. I think I do. I, I understand what you mean by pour into it. Yeah. I'm not sure I get what you mean by it being an entity of its own. Well, it's its a part of you, but it's separate at the same time. Sure, sure. I don't know. So that's just my well... I think, uh, maybe this is what you're going for, and maybe it's not, so I'll make a comment, and if it doesn't, just let me know if, it, if it's not going towards it. Um, I think you, you have to, um, when you say pour into it, what I see in my head is you have to be laying down your life for one another. right? So let's say um, I, come home, I come home in the evening after a long day of work, I've had a choice to make. Um, I can either decide to go to the refrigerator, grab a beer, and go sit on the couch and watch the football game. Or my wife has spent all day with four kids. She wants some, some adult interaction, right? Some adult conversation. So I can choose to ignore her and just go, man, I've had a long day, I'm just going to veg. Or I can go interact with her. That's a choice that has an effect on that oneness, Right? Because I'm either making a selfish decision, and, and sorry, let me hear, hear me say this. Getting a beer and watching a football game is not necessarily a selfish decision. So um, I don't want you to think, I can't, when I go home today, I can't watch a Broncos game, because Jason said so. Um, don't, please don't hear that. Um, but if that's, the, if that's the aroma of your life, is I just go do those things and I don't interact with her, even though she's asking for that. I'm making a selfish decision over and over and over again that it will have effects on that one flesh union. Does that, is that kind of what you're yeah. going for? Yeah. I mean, I think it either, to go back to what Keller says in that quote, if you're not doing that, that bond that you have will dry up because you aren't actually doing the things that create this rich and deep, robust, kind of deep-rooted love for one another. Um, It will. And if you are continuing to do those things, then it just gets better and better and better. So one of the things that I'll tell husbands on a wedding day is, if you're doing what Paul says in Ephesians 5 correctly, there's a purpose to it. And I think uh, Hannah was reading the why. Why does a husband lay down his life? Well, it's the same reason that Jesus does, and so it's for her beauty, right? And so if a husband is doing that, the bond between them should be richer, um, and and her, everything about her, inside and out, should be more beautiful when she's sixty than she, it does on her wedding day when she's you know twenty five or thirty five or whatever that is. If a husband has been walking alongside of her, laying down his life for her, it's going to have a bond that other people should be able to see, and other people should be able to look on and see, man, that 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 woman is radiant inside out the, the wisdom that she has that proverbs 31 wisdom um the outward beauty that she has it should be reflected in how the husband is laying his life down for her so and but the same thing is true for the bond that they have together so, what else okay How is a community? So I'm gonna I'm gonna rephrase the question. Maybe I just want to make sure because I want to make sure that I'm getting the heart of what you're asking. Yeah. So within a community, how do we how do we struggle through or struggle with the issues that we have that come up in marriage? How do we do that in community? Is that so? Like in community marriage, it's about how like oversharing. Um, I think it helps, uh, let me tell you what Elizabeth and I did. My wife's name is Elizabeth. Uh, when we got married, we looked for couples whose marriage we respected and we sought them out. Um, now I think, I think married couples should also be seeking out opportunities to pour into new marriages, but we just knew we wanted that. We wanted to be spending time in people's homes and not... So I think it's good to spend time with a husband and it's good for a wife to spend time with a wife, but there's no substitute for being in their home and breaking bread with them if they've got children, watching how they interact with their children and how they interact with their spouse. And so one, I think I'd encourage you to seek it out. Find marriages that you want to emulate um, if you don't know any, ask, I'll tell you. Um, but find marriages that you want to emulate and, and approach those people and say, hey, can, can we spend some time with you? Can we come over to your house for dinner every few months just to see how you, how you interact? Um, and then what we found is they didn't do it perfect and we knew they weren't, but they were open about discussing where they messed up, where they didn't do it well, if they had a harsh interaction with a child that night while we were at dinner, they're pretty open about it. Um, if they're going to let you in their home, they're probably going to be fairly honest with you to say, if you were to ask, hey, tell me, tell me one thing that you guys feel like you've done pretty well, and what's one thing that you guys have struggled with, they're probably going to be pretty honest with you. So, Does that help at all? Is that, I feel like I'm not getting quite to the heart of your question. Okay. You go. Hey, by all means, go for it. Yeah. A lot of like, it's good. A lot of like. A lot of pumping heads against each other. It was painful for a while. It was like, can we share that? Can we share? Not share that. Took a while. It was ugly for a while. But I mean, we got to a better place. Good. I think if I could add one thing to it, um, make sure that the person that you're sharing things with feels the comfort to challenge you where you need to be challenged, to say hey, you responded that way, so I see how you could have responded that way. I get the frustration, but what do you think is going on in here that's causing you to respond that way? So pick someone who feels, um, who, one, um, you feel like it's a safe place. They're not just going to bombard you with, what did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? What did you do wrong? But also just don't go go to the person who's just going to go, yeah, man, that sucks. They are horrible. No, no. No, no, no. So I I I didn't get the sense no. that I didn't get the sense that that was you, that that was what you guys chose. Um, but you, the tendency could be you pick a friend who just goes, who agrees with you. We love when people agree with us. Don't don't choose that person. Go with a person who's going to relate and spend some time with you in that pain. But also go, okay, like what what is it that's going on in here that causes you pain or that. that Causes you to react that way to her or to him so good. okay we 're at twelve thirty um, let me let me pray um, and then next week 's going to be Neil long and he 's going to be talking about complementarianism, um, your spouse being a gift of God um, for your sanctification, and then being a student of your spouse so um, let me pray for us, um, Lord Jesus, we love you, um, and Lord, we acknowledge that we can only say that because You've loved us first, and you've, you've laid your life down for us. And so, Lord, may that be um, the way that we love one another. May be that be the way that we love other people, and may that be the way that we love our spouse or future spouse. Um, and so, Lord, would you um, move our hearts to love each other that way. And that's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.